Well, it is, uh, it's great to, to see you this morning. We're, our servers are going to collect our offering now, and uh, as they're doing that, we uh, thank you, John. I know there's a lot of announcements, and uh, that's all the time we've got, folks. So we're, No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I wanted to, wanted to let you know about uh, a couple of things. One, one other thing is, we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, is uh, this tomorrow and Tuesday, we have a 24-hour prayer event that's going to take place right here uh, in this room, actually. And if you haven't signed up for that, you can sign up. This is the kind of last chance. There's just a couple, I think maybe like two or three spots still available. So if you'd like to be part of that, uh, you don't want to miss out, be sure to do that. It'll be out in the lobby. There'll be somebody at one of the vertical TVs that can sign you up for that. And uh, last, I know it was exciting to, to get to celebrate with Judy there just a few moments ago. But I uh, want to also mention some folks that were, were baptized last Sunday, and we certainly want to celebrate these two guys. First up was Tyler Epley, and uh, let's give it up for Tyler. And also Tommy Stevens, who gave his life to Christ last Sunday. So just celebrating with him, too, is awesome. Great, great stuff. We are, we are wrapping up our series today that we've been in for, this is the sixth week, on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, looking at these words of Jesus, this very famous sermon that he gave, you can find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be in chapter 7 today. And, and as John mentioned, the, the main theme that Jesus is communicating over and over and over again is, watch your heart. You know, he's raising the bar and saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you this, he's really trying to get us to go deeper and, and to pursue things that are better. And, and that's definitely what we're going to see again today. As we look at it, let's look together in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Verse 12, says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That's something that we tend to do as humans. We, we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. We kind of let ourselves off the hook. You know, you did this, so I, I'm going to kind of judge you harshly on that. But when it comes to ourselves, well, I, I know what I meant to do. I, I know what I intended to do, and so we, we kind of we give ourselves a lot, of, uh, a lot of grace and space there, but we can be really hard on people around us. I don't know if there's something in the water, if it's like a remnant of the pandemic or what, but does it seem like to anybody else that people have just gotten nuts lately? I mean, you can't go anywhere without... I had a guy practically cuss me out in a, in a Kroger parking lot 
a couple of days ago because he wanted a spot, and I was, we were there, and, and I thought he was leaving. And it doesn't matter, but just crazy, crazy stuff like, holy smokes. But it's this, this judging thing. We're very, very harsh on those around us, or we can be, and Jesus is pointing that out. And the part that's misunderstood here, we've got to do a little work on this verse. Because what's really misunderstood is that he's not saying that we are never to judge. That's impossible. That, that's not realistic, nor is that what we're called to do. We, we make judgment calls all the time. You have to. If you're never able to judge, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, you know, the world would just be chaos. And furthermore, Scripture is pretty clear that as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of what our calling is for, each, you know, iron sharpens iron. We're called to help one another. If I see something in your life that's not God-honoring, you know, I'm to help you with that. How can, I, how can I help you if I'm never to be able to you know, judge whether or not there's something that, that's off? So this isn't a message about never judge. You know, you're not allowed to judge anybody ever. The message is watch yourself. Look at yourself. Take a big, long, nice, ugly look in the mirror. What do you see there? Watch that heart. The big idea in Christianity and in the church, if we're going to be following Jesus together, the big idea is if, if God accepts you and God accepts them, then we need to accept them. If God's okay with, with you and God's okay with them, then we need to be okay. If God, if God is welcoming you and God is welcoming them, then we need to, to welcome each other. I, I had the opportunity to, to get together uh, this past week. I get together with a group of ministers about once a month. And uh, this, this past one, we were up at Phil and Marcia Miller's house. And uh, if you've ever been up there, they've got a great place, log cabin up right on a lake. And we're sitting on the back porch, and just, it's just beautiful. And sitting there with these guys... A bunch of preachers, so there was no shortage of conversation there. Uh, they like to they like to talk, but one of the guys uh, who, who was there, he was actually a former uh, Bible college professor at Lincoln Christian University. His name's Neil Windham, and he's actually going to be here in a few weeks. Going to preach for me. You, you, you don't want to miss that day. Anytime Neil opens his mouth and says something, it's like everybody leans in because you just it's just man, it's good stuff. And uh, but anyway, he, he was he was talking and he said, you know. We spend so much time fixating on our differences. Well, maybe we can't help it, but everyone is always against each other. You've got political divisions and racial divisions. We're just so used to being against each other. We're so focused on our differences that we've obscured what we have in common. I had to write that one down because that was... That was some $3 words there. I mean, those were good. You know, it was good stuff. But especially for those of us in the church, we have Christ in common. He's what brings us together. I mean, every nation, tribe, and tongue. I mean, we have, we have this, in the strangest way possible, Jesus brings people together. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, do not judge others, and, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use, whatever it is, the standard that you use in judging is the same standard 
by which you will be judged. So if you're hard on your employees and your co-workers or family members or friends, neighbors, teammates, if you're always critical, if you're always nitpicking, if you're always uh, focusing on their flaws, you better look out because when you mess up, they're going to be all over you. The standard that you use is going to be the same standard that's used on you. And that's kind of a no-brainer. If, if we're critical or judgmental, always telling people what's wrong with them, that's how they're going to treat us. And that's just kind of like relationships 101. We get that. But the opposite is also true. If you are gracious and encouraging, if you're quick to forgive, overlook a mistake, not, you're not a pushover, but, but you're fair, then they're going to go a lot easier on you when you have to apologize for a mistake that you've made. When you give grace, you're more likely to receive it. It's the essence of human relationships. And so, what again, what Jesus is really instructing us to do, he says, look at yourself first. Before you feel judgy, you know, before you're, you're ready to, you know, point something, you know, flaws out in others, be sure you're taking a good, honest look at yourself. The teachings of Jesus must be applied first to ourselves, then to others. When God reveals his truth to us, whether it's in scripture or in some other way, our immediate response has to be, how does this apply to me? How does this truth need to be applied in my own life? I've been there a lot of times, and I know that many of you have too, but uh, it's, it's, it's very common for me to preach a sermon, and, uh, and I'll get off the stage, and somebody will come up and say, oh man, I love that sermon, I love that Boy, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. I, I've been there. I've thought that. I'll be honest. There's sometimes I've been up here preaching, and I've looked out and saw an empty chair. I'm like, oh, man, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that today. So I, I get it, but, but what, what Christ is trying, to, I think, to, to help us to see is apply it to yourself first. Before, you, before you're trying to you know, look at others, look at yourself. Remember that the blade of judgment cuts both ways when we judge others we condemn ourselves as well and the main point jesus is driving at is this don't miss it how we treat others sets the tone for how god treats us did you know that it's true how you treat others the standard that you use is going to be used to you that ought to motivate us to be full of grace i think if, you know, if I, want, if I want God to be, if I expect that God's going to be loving and gracious and forgiving to me, then I, I ought to be that kind of person. That I'm willing to forgive people and I'm hoping that God's going to forgive me too. In Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul talks about, and this, this is fascinating, I studied this a little bit this past week. I was really excited to share this. But in, in Romans 14, he talks about the weak versus the strong. And the, the weak, weak Weaker individuals are those that, that they, they cannot enjoy the fullness of freedom that God gives them. You know, he said, where the, you know, where the Spirit is, there's freedom. But there are those that, that, that they can't enjoy the whole, the whole part of that. And they're strong that they can enjoy the, the fullness of freedom that God gives them. So look at it in Romans 14. He says, accept other believers. Accept. He's talking to us. I want you to accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, 
one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Now, he's talking about things that happened, you know, back when there were some dietary restrictions that had to do with worship and a lot of those things that we might not necessarily be doing today. Uh, So you'd have to fill in the blank for what those things are for us today, which we'll get into that a little bit. But he says, okay, for one person in his day, they might believe it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience would eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. And who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master is going to judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So when we think about what sin is. You, know, you hear this word sin. Ugh, what is that? It's, it's the things that God has said. I don't want these things to be part of your life. These are outside my intentions for you. I made you. I created you for this. And, and, and these things are, are, are not going to work. So he, you think about it like almost like a line, right? And he says, everything on this side of the line is okay. No problem. But everything on that side of the line, that you, you can't cross the line. That is sin. The strong person can go all the way right up to the line. He can enjoy the fullness of freedom that, that he or she has, right? But the weak person needs to back up and say, I can't get near the line. I can't get close to it because I, I, it'll get me in trouble. I'm weak in that area. I'm tempted, whatever. I struggle or my conscience will be violated. And what oftentimes happens is the people who have the weakest faith also have the strongest opinions. You know what I'm saying? Like two people get what I'm saying. I think you, You've been around church long enough. You got it. People with the weakest faith often have the loudest voices and the strongest opinions. And sometimes we look at them and we say, wow, they're so strong because they're so opinionated and they're so loud. So they must really be good Christians. But no, the fact that they're so vocal, so loud, and so demanding, it means that they're actually very weak. The person who is strong is more flexible. The person who is weak is inflexible. Now, here's the truth. is We are all strong, and we are all weak in different areas. But they're different. So I may be strong in one place that you're weak, and you're strong in an area that I'm weak. And that's the kind of the heart there of Romans 14. Is don't judge each other based upon your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, we're all, we're all different. And Jesus is saying, watch your heart as you interact with other people. Because whatever standard that you use, just be prepared. Because that standard is going to be used on you. Verse 3 and 4. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own. How, how could you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? It's kind of a funny verse. I think the audience would have laughed when Jesus said that. You know, just like this, ridiculous. You picture a person that, hey, let me, let me point out a problem that you've got when they have a glaring one in their own life. You know? But we, we, we see that. You know? We see that today. This is an important thing for us to notice. It's another area, a big area of misunderstanding, again, with this passage. I love what my friend Mark Jones says about this. He, uh, he was preaching a sermon on this a few weeks ago, and he said, Jesus doesn't say, 
He does not say, well, you know, you've got your own plank issues, so leave that speck guy alone. You don't, don't worry about him. Let him sort out his own eye problems, and you worry about your, prank, your, your plank problem. Because Don't worry about his problem at all. That's not what Jesus said. And he also didn't say that, hey, he's got just as much of a right to have a speck as you have to your plank. So live and let live, buddy. It's all good. Specks and planks all around. That's not what he said. What did he actually say? Verse 5 says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Nobody wants a log in their eye, but a speck wouldn't be comfortable either. They're both a problem, right? Both of them need to go. But what you see, what Jesus is getting at is watch your heart. If you're going to make a judgment call, if you're going to say, I, I want to help this person, you better have looked in the mirror first. Address your own issues before you can some, uh, help someone else address their mess. It's like you probably don't want somebody giving you marriage advice when they've been divorced 14 times. <laughs> you know? Uh, you, 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 truthfully, it, it would be pretty annoying if the preacher is, uh, you know, is, is critical or of someone who doesn't tithe they don't give 10% of their income to the Lord, and then he's arrested for embezzling money from the church. That wouldn't be very, very good. Or maybe a relative lectures you for missing church, come to find out they've been physically abusive to their kids. You'd be like, hey, you know what? Why don't you get the plank out of your own eye? Jesus doesn't tell us to never help someone who, whose life is in a mess. That's not what he's saying. He, he doesn't say, well, just sort of pretend that the mess isn't there. He's telling us, don't condemn others for the mess that they're in when you're in the middle of one yourself. That's why I love the message of Romans 14 when Paul says, verse 4 says, Who are you? Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master is going to judge whether they stand or fall. With the Lord's help, they'll stand and receive his approval. I, I like to think about it like this. Those of you that have kids, you've got kids, if you've got multiple kids, are they different? <laughs> Very different, which is amazing to me. You think about it, you know, you've got multiple children raised in the same environment by the same parents. In the same, I mean, everything's the same. You know, you've got your rhythm and your routine, all that stuff. I've got three kids. We've loved them all equally. We've tried to have the same experiences, the same everything, you know, and yet they are three very different people. They've got different needs. They respond differently. It's almost like God made them unique, right? It's like they're just, they're, they're a child of God. He, God's a father. We are, we are his kids. And parenting for him and parenting for us, it's not a paint-by-numbers kit. You've got to get to know the kid you got to know their personality, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what, you know, their background, their experience, their strengths, their, their weakness. So you can help them to grow and mature. Sometimes one of my children will kind of accuse me of that. Well, why are you being so hard on me about this? You weren't as hard on the other one. About I said, because you knew better. And I see strengths in you. And I know that this was an issue that you shouldn't have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably leaning in a little bit more with you. Uh, but, but that's how it is. And we are God's kids. He is highly relational. He knows your heart. 
God looks at the heart, and, and we may be different, and that's okay. That's good. And I know this is how God parents us. He knows if we love him. He, he knows what our heart is. He knows when we fall down. He's going to help us back up. If we're getting out of line, he's going he's to correct us and convict us. And our job as the church, so where do we fit into that role? Okay, If God's doing that, he's parenting, what do we do? Well, it's, it's not to try and replace the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's not what we do as a church. Our job is not to convict people. That's where a lot of people get it twisted. They think that, oh, well, the, we got to go out and tell people how bad their sin is. we got to make them understand how bad their sin is. It's not your job. That is not your job. I love what Billy Graham uh, used to say about that. He said, it's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. My job is just to love. That's it. God is capable. He's capable of convicting. It's, matter of fact, it's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the counselor. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world. He's going to help them to see the error of their ways. It's, and that's so comforting to me as a, as a pastor and as a husband and as a father. All, it just reminds me of, of the words of the Lord Jesus. I mean, he tells us in the New Testament, he says, I'm, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He says, stay connected to me. Stay connected to the vine. Let me tell you this. You and I, we are not the vine. We are not. Your systematic theology is not the vine. Your Bible translation, as wonderful as it may be, is not the vine. Your, your tradition of Christian faith is not the vine. Your denomination is not the vine. Jesus is the vine. And if we're connected to him, that, that's, that's the goal. If we're not connected, then, then we've got a problem. But if we are connected to him, then guess what? It's all good. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected to me. Some of, you, some of us, though, we think, but, well, well, but, but, but they're, not, they're not connected to me. They're not, they're not connected to me. It's because you're not the vine. They don't need to be connected to you. Uh, Jesus is the vine. That's why I love, uh, I love multiple denominations. That's why I love, I love people who disagree with me on secondary issues. Uh, this is why churches who are doing things differently aren't necessarily doing it wrong. Because if it's right with Jesus, it should be right with me. This is one of the core principles, some of you may not know this, but one of the core principles of the Christian church, which is kind of our brotherhood of churches, uh, is, is that this is what we were founded on, that we've said from the beginning, that when it comes to the essentials, we have to be unified. The essentials. Well, what are, the, what are, those, what are the essentials? That, that's, that, that's Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He calls us to repent and accept Him as our Savior. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. Those sort of things. You know, I would call those things closed-hand issues, meaning we don't let go of them. They're essential. We don't, we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't back away from that. But we, we've also said that in opinion... Liberty. As, as we have differing opinions, I mean, we've all got different opinions on things that don't really matter very much. They really don't matter that much. Uh, you know, things that aren't 
super spelled out and crystal clear in the Bible. If you have ever read it, you, you know that there's a lot of things in Scripture that you're like, what does that mean? And nobody can really give you a great idea because we don't know some things that are yet to be revealed. And so those, those things we, we're not going to get hung up on. We're not, not going to just, you know, dig our heels in on some specific and obscure belief that is debatable at best. It's okay to have a difference of opinion on, on those open-handed issues, right? That's, that would be open-handed. There's a lot of those, a lot of open-handed issues. Uh, one, how often do you take communion? You know, our church, we take it every week. Why? Well, we like to. Uh, there's not much more than that. Uh, we, we like to do that. Does the Bible say that we have to take it every week? No. If the Bible says when you take it, do it like this. Like, remember Jesus. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who take it once a month or once a quarter or however, and, and that's fine. The Bible just instructs it. Hey, when you do it, be sure you're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. There's no explicit command that says how often you should take it. The early church did it weekly, and that's why we do it weekly. Baptism is another one people love to argue about. Love to argue about this. Uh, the, and there's no question that we're told to be baptized. Jesus said, I want you to go into the world, and I want you to baptize people. Jesus himself was baptized. He said, I'm setting an example, right? This is an important thing. It's part of the, the salvation. It's part of us as we come to, to Christ and accept him as Savior. That's part of it. It's good. But everybody, and, and man, I'll tell you, I sit around with preachers and church people all day long, and everybody loves to argue about it. They love to argue about the moment of salvation. When is a person actually saved? Is it when they're going down into the water? Or is it when they're coming back up? Or is it at some moment when they're underneath? Do we need to hold that guy down a little longer just to make sure? Like, when does it happen? I'll tell you what. I, I just refuse to argue with people about that stuff. I think that is the silliest. I think that is missing the forest for the trees. It's, it's, it's crazy. That's the kind of, why, why do we debate? Why do we have to nitpick and split hairs and do that? That's the kind of stuff Jesus was talking about when he says, hey, in your interactions with each other, watch your heart. Watch your heart because ultimately there's a grace and, and a humility that should come with this. And there, there's, there's two ways that, that Christians can go wrong. We, it's kind of the, the spectrum thing, right? You can swing too far one way or too far the other. And we talk a lot about Legalism. I've, I've mentioned, you know, we, we talked about, oh, you know, we got to avoid being legalistic. But there's also, the other side of that spectrum is, is liberalism. Liberalism is when, when you go too far one way, right? You're going too far to the left. Legalism is when you go too far to the right. And, and here's the difference. Legalism, or uh, liberalism, is subtracting away from God's standard. It's taking away. So the closed-handed stuff. Right? These are the essentials. Liberalism is saying, well, maybe, maybe. Let's, let's take that out of there. You know, was Jesus, is Jesus really the only way to God? Well, maybe there's other ways. So that, that's, a, that's an example of that. Where, where legalism is adding to God's standard. You know, these are the essentials. These are the things that God has told us to do. But we also think you should do this. And we also think, well, you better be doing this, 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 and this. And it's, it's putting unnecessary additional uh, requirements on a person, right? Liberalism is, is Christianity by subtraction, taking things from the closed hand and trying to put them 
to the open hand. Well, I don't know if everybody needs Jesus. You know, I mean, what if, you know, they say, well, I know, I know that he says they do, but what, you know, I, I used to think that God, you know, that God made us male and female, but maybe we should reconsider that. I, there might be some other options. No, because the Creator said that we're male and female. Well, I know marriage was for one man and one woman, but things have changed. Yeah, they've gotten a lot worse, if you haven't paid attention. So we're going to keep some things in the closed hand, right? But that's what liberalism does. It wants to move, it wants to move them out. It's, it's Christianity by subtraction. This may surprise some of you, but Thomas Jefferson did this on occasion. Uh, he, he sat in the White House in the Oval Office. He took a razor blade to the Bible and to the New Testament, and he, he cut out everything that he felt was wrong. And he ended up with something called the philosophy of Jesus Christ. He, he took Jesus from a savior and turned him into a philosopher. And, and he says, well, there's, there's a bunch of things that we need to move into the open hand. That's a problem. Legalism does the opposite. It takes things that should be in the open hand, things that, okay, we've got difference of opinion. That's all right. We can, we can think differently about it, but it, it tries to move them to the closed hand. Legalism kills unity. It, uh, it kills grace. It kills relationship. It kills fun, if you want to know the honest truth. It really makes you a lot less of a fun person. I get people that uh, you know, kind of take shots at me every once in a while because they're like, Oh, you know, you told a joke in the sermon. I don't think that's appropriate. Church, we need to be reverent. You know what the problem with legalists uh, is? They... It's not that they take God seriously. That's not the, the issue. The problem is they take themselves seriously. We can take God seriously and recognize that I'm not God, right? I have flaws. And, and, uh, and, you know, but but the, the problem with, with legalists is they think if you disagree with me, then you disagree with God. And trust me, they say it like that. That's why the religious people crucified Jesus, because he wouldn't conform to their rules. And here's really what the, the bottom line for today. What are, we, what are we to make of all this? What is Jesus communicating to us through this passage? This is what he's saying. We need to see the person before we see the problem. You know, it's the standard that you use is going to be used on you. When the, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, if you remember that encounter in the New Testament, it's a great, great moment. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus told him some really hard truth. This guy is consumed with money and possessions, and he needed to let go of his greed. Jesus said, there's, there's one thing that you're lacking. You, you've been doing a good job. You know, you've, you're, a good, you're a good guy, and I know that you, you care about your relationship with God, but there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing you need to do. Is you, you've got to let go of this greed. So he said, sell your stuff. Sell your stuff, donate, and then come follow me. And that guy, he couldn't do it. He, he left. He walked away sadly. He rejected Jesus' offer. But you know what Jesus didn't say there? He didn't say, well, there goes a fool that missed the opportunity of a lifetime. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, there goes a lover of money that will never become a lover of God. You know what he said? In Mark 10, 21, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him I'm sort of hoping that one day I run into the rich young ruler in heaven I, 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 maybe I'm a little optimistic but I think that Jesus wasn't done with him I think maybe that's what we got recorded that he walked away but I, I think maybe there was 
There was a little more. I think maybe he had to go off and think. But legalism happens when you put religious rules over relationships. And as Christians with one another, we have to put relationships at the starting line, not the finish line. Uh, let, me, let me love you. Let me get to know you so I can understand you. And if there are things that we disagree about, uh, you know, or even if, even if I think you're wrong, because that happens, you know, it does happen. Like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm certain this person's off on this, you know. But, but yet I want to build the relationship to earn the right to have the conversation about the issue. What religious people do is they put rules at the front. And we're going to have this conversation now because we can't be friends unless you're on, on my side about this. Uh, you know, it's just not going to work. You can, you can win arguments and lose people. And there's nothing wrong with winning an argument. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downing that. There's nothing wrong with winning an argument. But the goal of, of an argument is to win a person. So, you know what our goal is? is not just to win arguments, but to win people to Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's why we exist. That should be the focus of everything that we do. Because you know what? People need Jesus desperately. We need Jesus desperately. Every time that we think we've got it figured out, man, it blows up. The world's got plenty of arguments, full of arguments. Everybody's mad about something. Everybody's you know, ready to stand up and shout in somebody else's face. But it needs more people who are turning to Jesus. The world needs more people that can show what grace looks like. Jesus said these words. Maybe, maybe you thought your grandma made this up, but she got it from Jesus. Matthew 7, 12. We call this the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets. I really like the message translation. It says, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? Then grab the initiative and do it for them. I think that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us when we were when we were really far from you you've uh, you have continued to show us grace and mercy when we have been very very undeserving help us as, in our interactions with other people uh, to to just be a reflection even though it might not be a very good re- reflection at time help us to be the best reflection that we can of Jesus help us to to, to just to be able to look at ourselves first and to be honest sometimes i know lord that the the bitterness that we have and maybe the pain that we carry around with us has caused us to become hard and harsh people lord would you would you deal with that help us to to be tender hearted to have thick skin and soft hearts i pray that in the name of jesus our savior amen well god bless you guys we'll see you next week